When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Welcome into No Nonsense, a Tennessee Titans podcast, your place to go for on-demand Titans coverage that is 100% free of the nonsense that we always see in sports talk these days. I'm Luke Worsham, joined by the other two hosts of No Nonsense, Matthias Wander and Will Lomas. We're back this week to recap the Titans draft class. We started doing that a week ago, and we didn't finish because there was so much to talk about, so we're going to talk about the players who we didn't get a chance to dive into last week. We're also going to get into this Ryan Tannehill business. And if you've not been living under a rock and you're a Titans fan, you know exactly what I'm talking about. The comments he made at his press conference the Monday after the draft about um, you know mentoring Malik Willis and uh, being in a really dark place. After the playoff loss, we're going to get in to all of those things today. And I know that Will is thrilled, especially about the Ryan Tannehill conversation. And, and Will, you're not working on a whole lot of sleep heading into this episode. No, uh, I was one of the lucky people to go to the uh, Predators game. Uh, so I ended up with about two hours of sleep between uh, Monday at 530 and uh, I guess right now. So. You can tell my patience is infinite today, so we'll see how this goes. How much sleep have you gotten since Tuesday, or excuse me, since Monday? We're recording this on Tuesday. Since Monday at 5 a.m. Since Monday at 5 a.m.? Two and a half hours, maybe? Yes. Something like that. Yes. So, So this is the episode where I'm going to get to say all of my opinions, and Will is going to be too lethargic to fight back on them. I need, like, a soundboard where I can just, like, click it, because, uh, like, of all the things I've already argued with you about, and yeah. just I can just push it and insert comment here. <laughs> so, guys, let's, let's pick up where we left off. We talked a lot, of course, about Traylon Burks. Uh, we talked about the two third-round picks. Or wait, one third-round pick. I'm already lost. No, we have two. Okay, that's what I thought. Had to, yeah. And, and the two third-round picks being uh, Nicholas Petit-Frere, the offensive lineman, and um, the quarterback Malik Willis. We talked a little bit about Roger McCreary, so so let's start. We may come back to McCreary, but let's start in round four with running back Hassan Haskins. And of all the Titans picks in this draft, uh, this may be my favorite the Hassan Haskins pick 
Because I think Haskins is really your Deontay Foreman replacement. We talked about it before the draft that they had to find someone who, should anything happen to Derrick Henry or should Derrick Henry get tired within the course of a game, they had to have someone who can run the ball between the tackles. We like Dontrell Hilliard. He's not that. Hassan Haskins is that. But beyond the running, dude is a freaky special teams guy. Now, for now, he hasn't. Uh, Craig Ackerman hadn't gotten his hands on him yet. But Hassan Haskins, I, I think it was a, a really good pick for them in the fourth round. Yeah, initially when it happened, I, I wasn't too big a fan of the pick um, just because of kind of the positional value. Um, and also, I liked some of the receivers and tight ends. Uh, that were still on the board, like Calvin Austin and Isaiah Likely. I, I thought they should have gone in that direction, but it really doesn't surprise me that that they felt the need uh, to take a running back there and, and a running back who, like you said, has special teams value also, but was supremely productive uh, in the one year where, where he really got a chance to be the main guy uh, at Michigan. And the other two years, like he just he, he was churning out big plays. Um, chunk gains, you know, in the Big Ten, which is a tough conference. So uh, I like the pick more. the more that time goes by. I think he's going to be a very uh, good contributor. And if he's as good as um, it seems like he could be, and I mean, I was listening to, to the NFL Network broadcasts, and when the Titans drafted him, Rich Eisen was just absolutely glowing about him. Um, Rich Eisen, who obviously went to the University of Michigan, was glowing about him. Uh, both as a player and as a person. So um, that got me pretty excited. And, you know, if Derrick Henry's body starts, you know, breaking down within these next couple of seasons, it's very possible that Haskins, if he, you know, was as good as we think he could be, uh, could end up being the, the starting running back in a couple of years. Yeah, and even if he didn't, like, uh, he fits... And I don't want to say it's necessarily a need, but he is what they like to have out on the field on third down. Because even if you like Derrick Henry on third down, which, you know, you can debate it, like, because he's not going to play 100% of the snaps. But I do understand the thought process of you want to have him out there if for no other reason than to make defenses think. But they just don't. That's not something Mike Vrabel, no matter which offensive coordinator they've had, it's not something that Mike Vrabel seems to want to happen. So if you're going to run an offense where he's on first and second down, and if it's not third and one, he's on the bench, then you need somebody who's a great pass protector. That's, I mean, Haskins is. It, you, you want somebody who can run if need be, which he can do. I, I don't, I mean, it, he's not a super nimble like receiver or whatever, but I, I think I don't know if it's an Ohio State game. There's a couple of plays where you watch him against like legitimate competition, and he does like he'll run some angle routes or something like that. And you know, it, it was it's like okay, he he doesn't fight the ball when it hits it. Like he's just not going to catch it in stride and break ten tackles. But like he he at least shows some functionality. And more than anything, he just doesn't go down on first contact. Like. This entire offense for, I mean, I guess since John Robinson's been there, has been predicated on we want guys who can break tackles and get yards after the catch, and it's shown up in their draft, and he fits perfectly what they like. I mean, there's so many times where you just have to drag him down. Like, 
not he's not Jerome Bettis, but sort of that kind of guy where it's like the first guy may slow him down, but the second guy's not just going to like pile on for a tackle. Like if he's going to take him down, he's going to have to put forth effort. And uh, I mean, in that way, like he makes a lot of sense. And maybe he's never the running back one. Like maybe he is someday down the line. Like you know, we'll see. But he fits stylistically what they want if they just want him as a third down back or if they need him to actually take carries and replicate some version of what Henry does. You know, it's funny. When we talked to Haskins after he got picked, John Glennon asked him about his receiving capabilities. He's like, you know, how, how, how are you with catching the ball out of the backfield? And he goes, I'm pretty good. I'm pretty good. <laughs> I liked the honesty of that answer as opposed to, like, fake modesty, you know? So may, maybe he's right. Maybe he does have some ability in that area. But look, you know, we talk all the time with running back. And, and it was the big conversation when Derrick Henry was an impending free agent and potentially getting extended. The conversation is always, they're very replaceable. You, you can pick someone in the fourth round and they're going to be fine and really good. I mean, look at the good running backs in the NFL. Very few of them were first-round draft picks. Well, for that to happen, for you to get the guy who's a fourth-round draft pick, who becomes a, a good player and a starter and a, and a, and a quality one, uh, you have to first pick them in the fourth round. So that's why I really have no problem with them picking a running back in the fourth round, even though it is not... I think it was a need, but but though they don't need a starting running back, clearly, because of Derrick Henry, I still like the pick uh, because perhaps in the future, when you move on from Derrick Henry, you have someone who can play very well, or you have someone that prevents you from having to overwork Derrick Henry. I, I see this, assuming Haskins is a good player and doesn't just turn into a pumpkin, uh, I, I see this as a as a pick that's going to be valuable for the Titans, and and I'm sure you guys saw the videos that popped up as soon as they drafted him of this guy running down and just murdering people on special teams. Yeah, I have I have liked all of the clips I've seen of his, um, and even like the pass pro ones. You know, he looks like a really good um, third down pass blocking, pass protection slash possible receiving option. Um, plus, you know, we, we've always talked about, you need to have the, um, you, you need to look or, or at least have the threat that you might hand the ball off on third down, which we wouldn't get back in the day with Dion Lewis. Um, and really not with McNichols. McNichols was fine, but he really wasn't like a talented running back. Um, but I think Haskins gives you that for sure because, you know, he's a very good natural runner. Um, and yeah, I, I like this pick. I, I think it's going to end up being pretty valuable for the Titans, especially if they want to, you know, kind of limit Derrick Henry going forward and, and not give him such a big workload, um, especially with these long in seasons um, and, and coming off an injury. Um, I definitely think Haskins will play a role, um, at least on special teams, at least, you know, if, if he's not even a good running back, uh, at least he drafted a, a good special teams player. Uh, in the fourth round, which honestly, who I think I think it's Will that says it, or like uh, someone says that the draft is over after the third round. Like everything yeah. after that is pretty much just okay. Just find a player that you know can hang around for a couple of years and contribute in some way. 
yeah, like I, that is my philosophy, and other people have said it too. I don't want to take sole credit for it, but historically, if you look after pick like one hundred, it's it's you're almost as likely to get somebody at one hundred one as you are in the middle of the seventh round. Like, you know, in terms of like actual like long term starters, you're just kind of taking guys you like and trying to fit you know pieces into your offense, defense, or special teams, and try to make excuses for them to stay on the roster. So, I mean, that's one of the reasons I like John Robinson so much because he's hit on so many of those day three picks when a lot of people don't. But that's a conversation for a different time. Um, I will say the last kind of note on Haskins is when you look at Dane Brugler's scouting report of him, he notes that he got voted, like, quote, toughest player of the year by his teammates in 21. Uh, he's well-respected in the locker room because of his work ethic and determination. He has a bunch of special team snaps. And when you look at that, like if I just copied and pasted the, the strength list and put it like blankly in front of you, you would say that's a Titans type of player, like picks up knees, drives through contact, making him difficult to tackle a uh, big bodied back with power in his legs, lower half and torso. Like, I mean, it's like all things that you're like, Oh yeah, that's what, Mike Vrabel's going to love. So, yeah, like uh, he seems like a guy who fits the style that's worked for them in the past. And I, I don't know if we'll we'll talk about it in this podcast or not, but this draft class is very much let's go back to what worked. And uh, that this is one of the picks that really clarifies that. I want to expound on that, Will. What what do you mean by that? And and I think I agree with your sentiment. I just like you to Explain more. What do you mean by go back to what works? So um, one of the questions that was really interesting, I mean, I I don't know if it's interesting, but it was interesting to hear John Robinson respond to it was uh, before the draft when I may have been Stillman or somebody asked him like why the 2019 class was so good. That was Jared. Yeah. And he said, you know, because we picked the right guys and, you know, that sounds like an oversimplification, but it's also like you can look back at that class and the classes before that and say like, okay, there's a clear, you know, set of things that they look for. Right. So like, let's start with Burks, like Traylon Burks, like a yak machine, two years of elite production in the sec, like that, that checks off, you know, all the boxes. Like you can look at his market share too, which is something that I think, uh, Robinson likes, which production is cool, but having a like a large market share of your production and putting up great numbers is uh, historically really telling because it means that you're the focal point of your offense and you're putting up, you know, you're not the best player on a bad offense. You're an elite player who is the guy who defenses look at and say, okay, we've got to stop that guy, and they clearly don't. So, you know, Traylon Burks, it fits that McCreary almost more than any pick we should have seen coming. Like if you told me if you, if I didn't know the roster at all, he would have been the guy that checks the most boxes like sec guy check. Like there was a period, you know, 2019 was one of them where the first two rounds of the draft, I think they had seven out of eight players or something like that were from the sec. And the one guy who wasn't was Harold Landry. So like that, they just spent their first two picks, you know, in 2020, it was Isaiah Wilson who sucked, but also Christian Fulton, who's great. You know, it's like, it it just like, I think Caleb Farley was the first one that really broke that kind of mold. But uh, anyway, um, 
McCreary, SEC guy, like feisty run defense guy, can play inside and out, which is cool. Ton of pass breakups, which has always been a big thing for the Titans. Like when you go back to like Adoree Jackson and like even guys like LaShawn Sims, like they, they all have tons of pass breakups and a moderate number of career interceptions. And they also play a lot of games. And so, you know, that all of those things point towards McCreary. Uh, Petit Frere is, I mean, he's not, he's not Jack Conklin because Jack Conklin, Conklin was way stronger and cleaner, but he's a guy who he should be a right tackle. Like in terms of the classic description, he was forced to play, like he played right tackle for a while. He was forced to play left tackle because he was simply the best offensive lineman on his team. And that's how his team decided to use him, even though it was a disservice. And really the only time he struggled was against elite players, but he's deceptively quick in like short areas. He, you know, is a perfect zone blocker. He's got a mean enough disposition. Like he's physical like that. That's an old school kind of thing. Malik Willis is, is an outlier just because he was such weird value that I, I think they just snatched him up. But Haskins, we just talked about like, I, I can talk more about the other guys as we go, but you can just like go through and check like all of these things. Um, even into the sixth round with like the last picks, like that, th- those are guys you can see similar prospects drafted in John Robinson's history. So I, I think this is, this is what worked for us in the past. I know we don't necessarily need a corner, but we use a lot of dime. Like he's going to get on the field and he's a guy that checks all our boxes. Let's lean him instead of forcing, uh, you know, one of these wide receivers that we think is really a third round grade but we'll force him up because, you know, everybody says we need a receiver and now we're scrambling to to draft somebody to replace AJ. Like it it seems like it was a more composed list of their guys, with the only exception being Willis, who I think they love in the interview, but who it w- is is not there's no comparison for that historically. Matthias, what do you think? Because I think this makes sense to me, especially considering you know, the 2019 draft was so good, just about every pick was a hit. Jeffrey Simmons, A.J. Brown, David Long are the three that come to mind immediately, but also you had uh, Nate Davis, Imani Hooker. And then 2020 and 2020, 2020 was a disaster. 2021, you know, all right, but it, it hadn't really panned out, at least in year one, and, and there doesn't seem to be, for some of them, a great amount of hope. So maybe you need to go back to something of the past that worked. Yeah, it does kind of seem like they went back to basics. And even in 2021, there were a couple picks that, you know, seemed a little out of left field. Uh, The Monty Rice one, not necessarily because, you know, he went to Georgia. Um, But that one took some of us a little bit by surprise. And then the Des Fitzpatrick one, super weird, didn't really line up with John Robinson's previous picks just because of the production profile racy mcmath and brady breeze just pure special teams players um who really like didn't have great prospects in terms of being contributors at the next level aside from special teams so those were weird i think in this draft like i don't think any of those picks really showed up and i think they were pretty clear on what they want to do especially once the aj brown trade um got materialized they just went right 
did they went right in they drafted Traylon Burks they were like here's our replacement there we go and then you know they they kind of just went with what has worked in the past I think the prospects make a lot of sense all of them are really high character guys um for from everything that we that we've heard and by all accounts I really haven't heard anything negative from any of these players um and they've also set themselves up very well for the future I think I mean the Malik Willis pick we'll see we'll see but they at least gave themselves an option if if you know his talent and potential does um end up re- revealing itself over the next couple of years um and all the other picks like they they seem like not home runs but very solid picks that are going to be able to contribute right away and going into the future for sure So let, let's move forward beyond Hassan Haskins. And, and I want to talk a little bit about Chig. Uh, Aconquo. That's it. Aconquo. No, you had it. Aconquo. <laughs> <laughs> you know, that's kind of exactly what I think they needed at tight end. I had said that they needed to take a, a plus athlete who they could let develop behind Austin Hooper, similarly to how they let Jonu Smith develop behind Delaney Walker years ago, and it worked out very well for them in that case, and I think this has potential to work out because Chig it was the fastest tight end of this class, ran a 40-yard dash in the four fives, uh, but, th- but there is some, some rawness to his game, needs to be reined in a little bit, and also tight end just tends to be a position where it takes some time, so... I think that it would have been hard for the Titans to do better with tight end because they really hit what they needed to. They didn't take one too high. They didn't waste an earlier pick on one because they do have their starter already for 2022. Um, But at the same time, they picked one high enough to where they got enough uh, athletic potential. Yeah, I think when the combine happened, and I mean a conquo, just just let it up. Obviously, you said the forty yard dash, but he also had um, some other testing metrics that kind of popped, you know. And once that happened, I think most of us were just like, "Man, he looks like John New Smith," and it kind of it kind of did seem like he's a guy that the Titans would like, just because he really does fit into that athletic mold of a John New Smith. Of course, he doesn't have the production that John who had uh, at FIU, and I don't think he's as much of a polished prospect. Um, but, I mean, the athletic traits are, are just absolutely tantalizing, and I, I do think he's a good fit uh, for the Titans just because he's so much different than the other tight ends that they have. Like, Austin Hooper is very much a two-way kind of guy, but a very smooth receiver. Um, Jeff Swaim, you know, is Jeff Swaim, but he's not athletic at all. Um, and a Conquo could give you that different dynamic um, whenever you need it. And, and I think I think it's a great pick. I, I really do think he fits well. I think they're going to be able to use him in a lot of ways. I mean, Maryland used him as, as, as not a running back, but they used him on running plays, um, at least in his freshman year. Um, and he scored two touchdowns, two touchdowns on those. So, I mean, we've seen the Titans do that in the past with Delaney Walker. We've seen him doing it with John Smith. Um, so he's definitely a guy that I think Todd Downing will like to to use in different ways and see if he could get some mismatches um, on some of these slower linebackers. So 
I'm excited about this pick. I, I do like that that he was productive in his final season where he was, you know, the full-time uh, tight end. Um, obviously, Maryland is not exactly an offensive powerhouse, so I really can't hold that against him. But, um, yeah, I, I, I like the pick, and, and, and I'm intrigued to see uh, how he does in his rookie season because Hooper's only on a one-year contract. Um, so we could be looking at a Conquo being, you know, a full-time starter um, as soon as 2023. Yeah, like one of I'm, I'm looking at this right now. If you hear clicks, just because it's so interesting, I, go back and look at, at his con, like at his RAS score. And the the first comparison name that they have is Delaney Walker. Like I know you talked about that a lot. Like. I know we've talked about Johnny Smith a lot, but it's so it's so crazy how eerily similar these two are. Like meaning Chig John and Delaney. Stomp. Mean yeah, Chig and Delaney. So John like Stomp was Delaney Walker uh, also. Like they clearly have a type yeah, at like, that position. It, I mean, it's like okay, so like look at this. I, y'all can go check it out if you want to because the color coding helps a lot. But it's like um, Chig six two and a half. Delaney Walker just over six one. Weight uh, for Chig two thirty eight two forty for Walker. Um, then it's four five two for Chig uh, four five four for uh, Delaney Walker, and then it's just like splits two six five two six seven one five uh, for ten yard split one five seven one six one six one. Then the vertical is thirty five point five thirty six point five broad jump nine feet nine inches nine feet ten inches. Like, I mean, like short shuttle four four five four six, uh, three cone seven one nine seven two three. I mean, like they they are so incredibly similar uh, that now it, something that made Delaney Walker really good is he had the mindset that he wanted to be a physical blocker and then he wanted to make plays after the catch. But that's not something that you don't see from Chig at Maryland. Like, I mean, he does like. They use them on jet sweeps and all that kind of stuff, like the same weird stuff that you're like, well, that'll never work. And then you see Delaney Walker do it, and you're like, oh, okay, sometimes that works, even though you may not want to make that a staple. But like, I mean, they use him as like a wing and have him like block, like block when he's like split off the line. Like he does so many things that I don't really think he gets enough credit for. I love like, I he wasn't one of the top guys left on my composite board going into day three, like because that's not my rankings or anything, but I included him in uh, the list of like the 10 players that I thought the Titans should really consider drafting. And just because he's so, he is so again, their type of guy. Like we talk about finding historical comparisons for things that have worked in the past. Well, you know, signing Delaney worker, Delaney Walker really worked for the Titans of the past. So, you know, repeating that or, finding somebody on that spectrum of athleticism with traits you want and with a mindset that you, you know, that you like, it's awesome. Like, so I, I this was, I don't know if it was my favorite pick just from, oh, cause I really like Traylon Burks, but like just in terms of he's going to be really fun to watch and he could be great. Like he and Traylon Burks really stand out as guys where I'm like excited to see them play. I want to talk about Kyle Phillips a little bit because it is weird to me. Well, it's not weird, but it is problematic that 
so many fans look at a fourth-round wide receiver. He was a fourth-rounder, right? Not a fifth? Fifth round. Fifth. Look at a fifth-round fifth yeah. fifth wide receiver. And immediately in their heads, he is the man. Because the amount of Titans fans and even some media I saw after the draft acting as though Kyle Phillips is a surefire day one starter, impact player, everything you could want and more out of a slot wide receiver. It's like, okay, if all that is true, then why in the world was he a fifth round draft pick? Now look, I agree. The skill set is intriguing. And he's got a good shot to be a valuable player for this team that helps them win games. But the amount of people who think, A, it's a sure thing. There is no chance that Kyle Phillips will not be terrific. But also, that are sure that he's going to make an impact right away. Like, let's pump the brakes a little bit on this guy, right? You're talking about the same fan base that thinks Mason Kinsey is still going to well, be a thing. Now that those in are the NFL. those are fringe people. I don't think that that is the fan base. I know, base. I know. But, but it, this does happen like very often. It's not only the Titans like media and fan base. Like this happens around the NFL. They see you know a short, kind of quick white guy who profiles as a slot receiver because they're not very fast and not very tall, and they're just like, oh, he's going to come in and catch balls right away. Um, and sometimes it works out, sometimes it doesn't, but the reason he was a fifth round pick is because, you know, he's 5'11", 177, and he ran a, what, a four five eight forty, I think it was, or something like that. Like, he, his, his ceiling is very limited just because he's not overly athletic and he's not overly fast, um, so he's really kind of pigeonholed into being a specific type of receiver, um, and, and I do think that's what you have. Like he's very clearly just a solid type uh, of slot guy, but he's also a fantastic punt returner. Uh, I think he was not. I don't know if he was the best in the nation uh, during his time at UCLA, but he was very close uh, to being one of the better ones in all of college football. So, in terms of that, like he can come in and be the punt returner right away, and whatever you get from him as a receiver, if he could just come in, get open every now and then. Um, and catch a third down ball, move the chains, then you're absolutely happy because he's already giving you um, that punt return value um, out of a fifth round pick. So I'm I'm not I'm not coming in expecting too much out of him, but I do think he's going to get playing time right away just because of that punt return ability and also because the Titans depth chart at, at wide receiver is, is pretty disgusting if we're going to be uh, real about it after the first two. So. Yeah. Yeah, like so here here's the good and the bad of it, right? So to come in and act like he's a sure thing, like it, first of all, number 1 overall picks aren't sure things. Like we'll find that out in Jacksonville soon. But like we you mean you see guys come in every year who you know analysts say they're going to be great or whatever and then they just disappear and nobody thinks about them again except for their fan base who's furious that they drafted them so you know anybody can fail in the draft 
much worse on day three. So no, like, I mean, he's not a sure thing, you know, future superstar, like guaranteed or anything. Having said that, like he led, um, the, he led UCLA for three straight years in targets and receptions. He was one of like six players to have 10 touchdowns this year. He's had pretty good production, but he also like, you know, like other players on here, like really is more physical than you would think when you watch him. Like, I I mean, he will just bury his head right in the chest of a defender. And like, I mean, he's not big, like, you know, depending on what, like at his pro day, he weighed 181 at the combine. He weighed 189. Like he's five, like a hair over five eleven. So, like, he's not an imposing receiver, but, I mean, he puts in the work, and they use him as a lead blocker on some of their, like, counters and sweeps and stuff, and it works. I mean, like, he just doesn't stop running his feet. So, I can see why you watch him and like him, because, you know, he didn't test great. But, you know, if you if you didn't know the numbers, which, you know, you kind of have to suspend disbelief for a second. If you didn't look at the numbers, you would think that he ran faster than a four, five, eight. And, you know, to his credit, like the rest of his athletic testing is really good. Like it, he ran his 10 yard split. Uh, was like, again, I'm looking at the RAS here was a nine point eight four. Like it, it was a one, four, two was the actual t- or sorry. One, four, nine was the actual time. But. Out of 10, he performed in the 98th percentile. Like, so he's incredibly quick off the line, and you see that he just doesn't have the long speed or didn't that day for whatever reason. But I mean, broad jump 10 feet, that's 80th percentile. Shuttle 409, that's 89th percentile. Three cone, it was 91st percentile. So, like, I mean, you can understand if you have a specific if you're saying he's our slot receiver, then you can understand why that's such an easy path to success for him because he's, he is instantly quick. He does have years of production where he was an important chain mover for his team and they constantly relied on him. Like, I I mean, you can see the reasons why people like him and he has a lot of the testing to back that up, but he's also five eleven and ran a four, five, eight. So, you're you're not going to win a lot of starting jobs on the boundary with those measurables. So it, you're automatically limited to inside in the slot, which means that if you're ever on a team that runs two tight ends, you're on the sideline, you know, it, you basically turn yourself into a slot receiver or like a dime defensive back. Like you reduce your value to a team based on of how many snaps you can play. But, you know, Smart teams will find ways to get those guys on the field, and he blocks well enough where you know you can make the excuse that he can be on the field on rundowns and he can be out there because he's going to give you something, and that's enough to make defenses actually take you seriously. I, I, I don't know what my my problem is with it. I I like Kyle Phillips; it was a good pick, but it's a fifth rounder, like. Am I missing something to where everyone immediately was just like, oh my gosh, this guy. Who cares that Nick Westbrook-Akeen is the third best receiver because they got Kyle Phillips. Well, like, he's just, he's Hunter Renfro, right? Like, 
I mean, his his athletic comp is Julian Edelman, but that's the whole thing, right? Is like if you if you commit to him as a slot receiver, like you know, is he Adam Humphreys? Like that that type of range. Well, Adam Humphreys like is not Julian Edelman. Julian Edelman was terrific. Adam well, Humphreys has been just kind of. Uh, well, Adam Humphreys had 800 yards before he came to like the Titans, like more run heavy schemes. So, I mean, and then got concussions. So, like, I, I mean, I, I hear you. Hunter Renfro was great this year. So, like, I, I don't know. Like, is he a guy that you say, okay, we're going to replace him after his rookie contract, but he's a really cheap, like Cole Beasley, like that kind of guy with, you know, better opinions? Like, you know, <laughs> I was it, about is to that, say. Yeah, it's like, is that is that what you're going to make him? Because if so, cool, like that works uh, now, like you said. But I mean, those guys get found every year on day three of the draft. You know, so do eight other guys who nobody ever hears from again. So it's not like it's a sure thing, but you're much more likely to find a slot receiver on day three than you are a boundary receiver. So if you're going to draft somebody who's going to catch passes, you want either an athletic tight end, an athletic running back, or a slot receiver who you can plug and play because they show that they can do all the little things right on tape. Yeah, that makes sense. Uh, We're going to take a quick break. When we come back, we're going to wrap up this discussion about the Titans draft class. We'll have Will perhaps enlighten us on some undrafted free agents. We're also going to talk for the millionth time this offseason about Ryan Tannehill because he said some stuff and some people didn't like. And so we're going to tell you what you need to think about all of that. And we'll do it in just one moment. You're listening to No Nonsense, a Tennessee Titans podcast. So what's left after Kyle Phillips? What what do we got left to discuss? Uh, Theo Jackson, who... False fans are very familiar with. I've never seen play. And uh, Chance Campbell, who I, I, is actually very interesting. Game-changing type of talent there. No, I'm, I'm kidding. But I, I think a lot of people like the Theo Jackson pick. Of course, he has the local tie, grew up in Nashville. But some people talk started to talk about, hey, maybe he could play the, uh, the Dane Crookshank role because he did a lot of different things for Tennessee defensively, played some different positions. Um, I'm going to be honest, I don't know a whole lot about the linebacker, Chance Campbell. It was fun to make jokes when they drafted him about, like, hey, the Titans finally got the inside linebacker everyone said they needed. Uh, but, you know, the sixth and seventh, or the sixth round, because they didn't make a seventh round pick. Sixth round, like, it, it is what it is. Yeah. Um, I mean, I'm going to let Will talk about Theo Jackson because I've literally never seen him play, so I don't even know. Uh, but Chance Campbell is very interesting to me just because he moved from Maryland to Old Miss and was just so productive um, in a tougher conference in the SEC. I mean, he got six sacks, uh, 109 total tackles, 12 and a half for loss, um, three fumble recoveries, two forced fumbles. He's a big guy. He's like 6'2", 6'3", 235 pounds. Um, I, I just find that profile very interesting. And, and you know the Titans have had a lot of success finding some of these productive linebackers like Jayon Brown and David Long, who were very good in college, but ne- weren't necessarily prototypical linebackers, and they were kind of undersized. Campbell's not undersized, but he was also very productive in, in the one season in the SEC where he was a full-time player. So 
I, I'm intrigued by this pick. I don't know if it's going to amount to anything, but given the Titans' track record with finding good linebackers later in drafts, uh, I think he's a guy who could make an impact at some point in, in his Titans' career. Yeah, I mean, I of the two picks, like my heart likes the Theo Jackson pick more just because, uh, you know, the Tennessee bias in me. But like Campbell, I think is the better actual pick. Like it, he, like you know, you talk about drafting athletic linebackers on day three. Like the like Matias was just talking about it. Like the Titans really don't miss. Like they've only done it twice, and it was David Long and Jayon Brown. So it's like. When they do it, and when they have like crazy RAS, I don't, I don't have his RAS score pulled up, but I remember he was really athletic. Like when they have those things, you should take notice. Like once is a fluke, twice is a a pattern. Like three times is like okay, pay it, like pay attention. Like this is what they're going to try to do. So I think he has a real chance to actually take that same path and be a special teams guy that we see in the preseason and we say, wow, that guy's really good. And then we see him sparingly throughout the year and we ask for them to play him more. And then he has to depend on injuries in front of him to get on the field. But he is interesting to watch. I'll talk a little bit more about Jackson just because I have seen him play. Like he had a real tough uh, 2020, but really so did every vol defender. Like they just didn't look like they were having fun. Like it's, I don't know. Like it it was a bad situation there. Like it is what it is. Like no, no need to look too much into it, but he, I mean, he looked good this year. Like he plays, like he's kind of got that versatile body type and, you know, moderate. I mean, not moderate is probably too mean, but like he's got good enough athleticism to play, you know, that Dane Crookshank, like, you can line him up at corner. Like it, that's the same process they use with Amani Hooker, but I don't want to say Amani Hooker because Amani Hooker turned out so great. Like, but he's one of those guys where if he had a Dane Crookshank career and by his third or fourth year he was contributing as a sub package player, it wouldn't surprise me because he can keep himself afloat with his ability to play special teams. And one of the things that the Titans said when they drafted him is they would ask the Vols coaches, you know, individually about different guys and say like, Hey, what do you think about this guy? And they would just keep bringing Theo Jackson up. Like they would keep talking about how much they liked him, how committed he was, like how much he liked, you know, how much he enjoyed the process of everything. And, you know, in the sixth round, taking a guy with versatility, athleticism, especially in traits and whose coaches like are clearly like pulling for him to get drafted. Like, I mean, there's much worse ways to spend those picks. So I like that. You know, it's the first time in, I think, over a decade maybe that they've drafted anybody from Tennessee. So, uh, you know, I, I like that, and I hope that works out, and I hope they can get some more hometown stuff going. So, uh, I like I said, I like the pick, but if I wasn't, you know, from, you know, I didn't if I didn't go to the University of Tennessee, like I probably wouldn't know much about him either. Well, give us some intel on the undrafted free agents quickly as well. So, like they always do, they they had two good defensive linemen that will probably make the team and be super cheap and be better than some guys that were drafted in the top 50 because that's kind of what they've done over the past years with Tart and 
uh, Naquan last year. Uh, they got uh, Jaden Peavy from uh, Texas A&M, and he's got real long arms, and he's got kind of a bigger body type. Um, I like Haskell Garrett more, the guy from uh, Ohio State, even though I think Peavy had higher like rating on the consensus board. But it, Haskell Garrett's weird, right? So he plays like 4-I and 3 a lot, and he seems athletic enough to do what the Titans want out of like their – Danico Autry, like hybrid defensive and defensive tackle. Whereas I think Peavy's more of like, uh, you know, that Naquan Jones type, like I'm going to play shade or one technique, but uh, I'm interested to see how he plays because I could see them moving him around more. And that would let, uh, I mean, we're, you know, it, it's wishful thinking at this point to assume he'll make the roster, but like if he makes the roster, it gives you more, a more specified role for Weaver where he's just going to play edge and you don't have to try to like kick him into defensive tackle to make him more valuable. Um, David Ananai from Houston is an edge who has traits that are cool and got like, I think he had like a fifth round grade from Dane Brugler. So that's something to watch, but uh, Reggie Roberson is a wide receiver from uh, SMU. He has injury problems. So, who knows if he's ever back to full strength, but I think he had 270 something yards on Memphis in 2020. Uh, and like he, he looks fantastic, like good effort blocking, like has the speed, like to get behind fast defensive backs who seem to be able to handle their business against other teams. Like, I mean, he looked good. I think he had like near, nearly 700 yards in back-to-back seasons even though he dealt with multiple injuries, but he's a guy that you kind of have to compare to Marcus Johnson, where it's like, you may never see him. He may play, you know, one game, he may play no games, but if he, but when he plays, he, he has the ability to make big plays and not because he's necessarily the fastest guy on the field or because he does any one thing. Well, but because he seems to have the right combination of skills and you know effort that make him a big play guy, so I, I'm I'm interested to watch him versus you know a, a thinner, I guess wide receiver five through whatever on this depth chart, like uh, that those guys like if he can beat out one of those guys to become you know, especially as player developmental guy, blah, 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 that kind of thing. But th- those are the guys to watch. Uh, Roberson from SMU, the wide receiver, PV and Garrett, the defensive lineman and, and and I from Houston, the edge. It's time to talk about Ryan Tannehill. Yay. <laughs> I know wheels pumped. So yeah, it's going to be awesome. Let's start with the mentorship comment. And and here's what I'll say about it. The sentiment is he's correct. I don't know that he worded it terribly well. Because it is true that Ryan Tannehill's job is not to mentor Malik Willis. Uh, that is Pat O'Hara's job, the quarterback coach. Ryan Tannehill's job is to prepare to win games. So that demarcation is correct. I think the fans who 
came away and said or thought, this is terrible, can't believe he said that, part of it is, is, is there is a group of people, a large one, that is just looking for any reason to get more mad at Ryan Tannehill than they already were, right? He's become an easy target. But I think a lot of those people believed or, or perceived by Tannehill's comments that he will, under no circumstances, help Malik Willis. When what Tannehill, and, and perhaps, you know, the more I'm sort of saying this out loud, perhaps it wasn't even a, a problem on Tannehill's part in terms of the wording. Uh, the, the takeaway was incorrect, because I think the takeaway assumes that he will not mentor Malik Willis. When the sentiment and, and what he said was, it's, that's not really my job. That he didn't say I won't. He he did he did say you know if Malik Willis can learn from me that's great. But you know Ryan Tannehill doesn't need to be spending extra time at the facility to mentor Malik Willis. Ryan Tannehill has a family. Ryan Tannehill has games to win. That's Pat O'Hara's job to mentor. Now I'm sure if Malik Willis goes to Ryan Tannehill and says, "Hey man, I I'm I'm just having trouble figuring out." How to beat cover three with a quick out, you know, whatever. And Tannehill says, "Well, here, let me let me tell you what I usually do." Like those conversations are going to happen. Tannehill's not going to say, "Nah, you can figure it out." I, I think what he meant, and perhaps he could have explained it better. I, I think the problem is he just sort of let it sit, and he's not saying the things that I'm saying right now. But but that's that's not what's happening here. He's just not going to go out of his way to do it. Because he doesn't have to, and he, he, he really shouldn't. He's got m- bigger priorities. Yeah, uh, I, I agree. And it's just, it's gotten blown out of proportion. But I think everything um, around the Brian Tannehill discourse has gotten blown out of proportion this offseason. Um, so, man, I, I, I don't know. Like, it, it's really not a big deal. It really is not his job to mentor him. Sure, he could help him out, and I think he will. Um, I mean, even Johnu Smith came out to, to Ryan Tannehill's defense and said he learned a ton from Tannehill, um, and he was a great you know, type of mentor. So, I don't know. I feel like everyone kind of overreacted to this. I agree Tannehill probably didn't word it correctly, but, I mean, it, it is what it is, and this is something that, that, that everyone should kind of move past. Um, but it's going to linger just because of that playoff game. Like, if Tannehill doesn't throw those interceptions, like, none of this is happening, but that's what it is, and and that's what's going to keep happening. Every single thing he says, um, any bad play, negative play that he has, it's going to get, you know, magnified just because he's kind of uh, on the hot seat, so... It's unfortunate, really, because he's really done a lot of things right, and he's continued to do them right, and I don't think he was in the wrong with his comments um, at all. In fact, I, I appreciate it. I appreciated the honesty. Like, how many times have we have we called for coaches and players to, like, just be transparent and, and stop, you know, BSing the media and everyone with their, with their coach-speak answers that are so boring – Finally, like a player comes down and says, no, like it's not really my, it's not my priority. Like, but, but it's still, it's not enough. It's not enough for people. So 
that part's annoying, but it's really not, not like his priority is to win football games for the team and be the best quarterback for the team that he could be. So I don't know. I just, I, I don't care about these comments, but everyone else seems to care. I mean, it's so, so stupid. Like the part of the, the Tennessee fan base that's like anything Tannehill does is bad. Like you're the worst. Like, understand that I hate you. Like, it, like truly, in the fiber of my being, I think you make everybody look bad. Because it, it does. Here's the thing, right? So, if he comes out to say, "Hey, I just wanted to let everybody know," like, I, I didn't, I didn't mean to to say it in a way where it implied that I wasn't going to help Malik out. Like, I think he's got a ton of potential. He's a great, you know, from everything I've heard, he's a great kid. I can't wait to work out, work, you know, work with him. The next comment would be, wow, he sounds like somebody who's scared that he might lose his job. Like, the the, the whole thing is, it's drummed up controversy that doesn't mean anything. It, it is nothingness wrapped in stupid takes. Like, it, it makes me so incredibly angry because you just, like, it, when when you say these things, it makes all Titans fans like look stupid by association. You, you are embarrassing the franchise. Like it is incredibly aggravating. So, you know, that that's, that's kind of the box you're in. Um, because it, the Colt, you know, I, it, it success determines everything. Like you don't actually care if Tannehill mentors anybody like you you were somebody who thought it was awesome that Peyton Manning would like lock other quarterbacks out of the quarterback room when he was at Tennessee and then in Indianapolis he would never let anybody take reps with the ones and he wouldn't help people behind him and their job was to help him you know look at formations like same thing with Tom Brady who notoriously like does the same thing and got uh, Jimmy Garoppolo kicked out because Uh, He heard that the Patriots liked him and that, you know, it's like this, this happens everywhere. And, and the people who are honest tell you, and they say that, and then everybody says, wow, you know, he's just a great competitor, you know, unless you don't like him. And then you say, wow, that guy's a jerk. I mean, Ben Roethlisberger has been the worst teammate to his, like not only the rest of his team, like very few people there like him, uh, you know, and, None more than his backup quarterbacks when like Mason Rudolph came in and he was like asked about him. and He would just like laugh and just like, I mean, basically just like uh, trash him and, you know, give the, the backhanded compliments and all that kind of stuff. Now, that's that's why you shouldn't care what he said, like whether he gave you the truth or whether he lied like everybody else. It, you were going to be mad anyway. Here's the reason why you really shouldn't care. Because Ben Arthur did a great job with this, where he he tweeted out a quote uh, from this was uh, at the Senior Bowl, and uh, uh, it, he was Tannehill, and uh, just like uh, you know the future of the quarterback position, and the quote is none of the players are getting any younger. That's the nature and the circle of life in the National Football League. We tell the players that, or sorry, we tell the players that. The veteran players that are in our meeting room, their job is to not let the younger players come in and take their job. 
the younger players, their job is to carve out a role on the team to try to have a career as a professional football player. So I, it, it's like he went into a meeting and talked to John Robinson about this, and he just used the same quote that he got from you know, the general manager who I'm sure is in lockstep with the coach. Yeah. And, and they told, they said, Hey, like, don't, your job is not to mentor this guy. Your job is to be as good as you can be to make this team as competitive as it can be for a Super Bowl. And if you do that, don't worry about it. We're not in a hurry to replace you. But if this guy comes in and is better, he's going to take your job because our jobs are on the line and we have to play the best option for us. So it, it's just crazy. Like people, it's just a Rorschach test for whether you want to be part of this like group of people who just continually like sow discord and just it, try to get shock reaction or you just hate Tannehill for, for whatever. But I mean, whether you like it or not, it's not his job. The people employing him don't want him to do it. So it doesn't matter, matter like what your opinion is on this. It doesn't matter whether you're Kurt Warner in your ivory tower or whoever, uh, like your opinion does not matter. Uh, close your mouth. Goodness. Your opinion does not matter. Close your mouth. No, but you're, you're right. That, that is sort of the team talking point. Uh, that's a great point about what Robinson said is the job of incumbent players versus the job of, um, of rookies. So, yeah, I don't think there's a whole lot of disagreement from us there. What about the comment about, you know, having such a tough time after the loss? That that was interesting to me. And, um, you know, another example of him keeping it real. Yeah, and I mean, I'm not too surprised. Like, he's he's never been a big social media presence, but... We really didn't hear anything from him um, throughout the offseason. And I'm sure I'm hoping that he didn't read any of the stuff that was going around on social media and on any of these talk shows because they really hammered him hard. And, and I, look, I'm I'm sure that Tannehill was the one who felt the worst after that playoff game. Like we felt terrible because, you know, that was an awful way to go out. Uh, we had Super Bowl aspirations. Imagine Tannehill, who was like one of the most responsible people for that. I, I can only imagine what he went through. Um, and it seems like he, he went to a pretty dark place. Um, and for those who, of us who, who have been in those types of places before, it's really hard to bring yourself um, out of there. So hopefully he's doing better. Uh, I'm hoping that he had enough time off to kind of not think about it and kind of get back to, to doing the normal routine football kinds of things. Um, and, and get back to playing his best ball because when he's at his best, he's one of the best quarterbacks in the league, and, we, and we've seen that during his time in Tennessee. So uh, I'm hoping that's in the rearview mirror for him and, and he can just get back to, to the basics and, and doing what he loves and doing what he's best at. Yeah, like mental health is important. Everybody should you know take care of it. Like it, it doesn't matter how much money you make, any of that kind of stuff. Like you know, stress, toxic environments, all that. Like it's, it's tough. Like make sure you take care of that. Like, I mean, 
like like you said, like I mean, we can all understand, you know, not not that it was on the front of our mind, but we can all understand like how it may have been a hard off season for him and how, you know, just like all the Titans fans, like he thought, okay, I'm finally going to get my weapons back. Like we're going to make go on this run. We'll be rested. And then it came to an abrupt end and just, you know, it just a gut punch after, you know, like literally dragging through all these injuries to get to the one seed, you know, beating Kansas city and Buffalo. And like, I mean, beating all these good teams and then you make it and then you lose to Cincinnati uh, on a series where nine times out of 10, you know, or if there's a healthy Derrick Henry or whatever, you run that and you kick a long field goal and you go to overtime if you miss it, but that's, that's what you do. But I mean, it's it's it sounds like it's hard on him. I mean, it's not going to make people any nicer, but it's why he's clearly not putting himself in the public eye if he doesn't have to. All right, it is time for stop the nonsense. This this episode flew by. I can't believe we've already gotten to the end, but we have. Who would like to start? Uh, I, I could go. Um, so uh, I've been noticing a weird trend uh, lately on Twitter. Uh, I don't know if my algorithm is messed up or something, uh, but it's not because I just I just searched his name and it's real. Um, there is a lot of Zach Wilson hype out there um, <laughs> this offseason. I don't know. I don't know what's going on. I, I don't know what's happening. Like I, 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 I will agree with this. The Jets have done a pretty good job surrounding um their their quarterback with, with a nice offensive nucleus their receivers are good uh they just drafted Brees hall michael carter was good in his rookie season um and they got tyler conklin and uzoma um at tight end so, so that's great a lot of mouths to feed uh zach wilson was absolutely terrible last year he, he was one of the worst quarterbacks in the league he didn't show any signs of development any signs of improvement he got outplayed by mike white by Joe Flacco. Even Josh Johnson came in for a game and looked better than Zach Wilson. Uh, and I just don't understand. I, I don't understand what's happening. I, I don't know why people are acting like he's going to take off when I don't even think he was that great of a quarterback prospect to begin with. And he showed absolutely nothing in his rookie season. Um, so it's weird. It, 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 it's very weird. I, I don't know where where this this hype and narrative is coming from. Uh, meanwhile, Justin Fields gets absolutely crapped on for his rookie season, and he's a lost cause, um, even though he looked better than Zach Wilson. But I don't know. This this is just super weird. We'll see. Maybe I'm wrong. Maybe he comes out, throws 30 touchdowns, and and uh, I, I have to put my foot in my mouth. But just, just very weird happenings going on uh, around NFL Twitter right now. Yeah, and everybody like is fully circled back to where uh, the Jets fans are all talking about how they think Corey Davis is underrated and all that. And like, I get it. Like, I love Corey Davis and all that. But I mean, if you pay a guy like you know the money he got paid, and you know you feature him like that, like I don't, I don't know if you can call him underrated. But uh, I'll, I'll go ahead and go with mine. I told y'all about this a little earlier before we started recording the podcast, and. It's that time of year where the over-under win totals are getting posted and everybody's saying, you know, would I take this bet or that bet? And I was listening to a podcast today and they were talking about uh, 
the betting odds for Super Bowl titles. And they were talking about, you know, which kind of long shots they could see going to the uh, Super Bowl. And the names that they said were the Colts, which we, we've been over this before. Nobody actually watches the Colts. They just assume they're good and are shocked every year when they're not in the playoffs or when they get, you know, one and done or, or you know, they find out they had a losing season or whatever. And then uh, they said the Ravens, which I, I, I don't, you know, that's whatever. Like, I, you know, maybe Lamar Jackson gets hot again and remembers how to play and stays healthy. And they've got a good coaching, you know, good coaching staff. They've got, you know, some interesting players, all that, even though they don't have any wide receivers or anything like that. But, you know, okay, like, that's fine. But then the next one they said is they said, do you want a real long shot? I could see the Jets winning the Super Bowl. And to your point, like we have not talked about this part of it yet, uh, Matias, but to your point, they said, you know, second year quarterbacks, they really get a big boost. And, you know, I really like what Zach Wilson has around him. And I think, you know, he can take the next step. And I'm like, did we not watch Trevor Lawrence and Zach Wilson last year? Like they were, Mac Jones is in that same division. Like he would have to beat Mac Jones and Mac Jones was better than every better at every aspect of playing quarterback than either of those guys. And it's just this delusion where everybody like has gotten tired of saying the things over and over that they've already said that they just go a little bit insane and they start saying like, you know who I could see winning the Super Bowl, the Jaguars. And it's like they just make these like storylines that don't make any sense, and it drives me crazy. But it, like for your long shots to be the Colts, who by the way, the Colts would have to go through all these new superpower like AFC teams too. Like it's not like they would just w- to win the AFC South. Like this is to go to and win the Super Bowl. Like and then the same thing with the Jets. It, it just it just is all crazy to me. It's filling time. The Jets went. Four and thirteen last year, the Jets. I I, I don't. It's it's absolutely it's, crazy. It's fill in time. Fill in time. Like the, this, like May, you still have a lot of draft stuff to talk about. But man, June and July are coming, and it's only going to get worse. Well, that's why we take the month of June off. <laughs> of no yeah. nonsense. Um. So here's mine. Earlier today, I'm watching YouTube, and an ad comes up. And it is one of the dumbest ads I've seen recently. It's an ad for DoorDash, the meal delivery service. And what happens in this is you hear the doorbell ring and someone is delivering DoorDash. And the person delivering DoorDash to this person in the commercial is Atlanta Falcons quarterback Desmond Ritter. And when he walks up to the porch, uh, he, he sets the bag of food down and it plays the ESPN draft noise, the da 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 da, right? So, so that happens. So, just to recap, Desmond Ritter delivering DoorDash sets it down. The ESPN draft chime plays, and then it pops up on the screen the text: Desmond Ritter, former DoorDash driver, current NFL quarterback. And then it said something along the line, and then that went away, and it said something along the lines of, you can chase your dreams too with us. As if they were trying to make a connection between Desmond Ritter driving for DoorDash and being a third-round pick of the Atlanta Falcons. 
it was patently ridiculous and odd, I thought. You know what's crazy? I actually saw that commercial, but I was barely paying attention, and the only thing I remembered was the the sound, the ESPN draft sound. Yeah, so, so I didn't even so realize Ritter was on it. The first time I saw it, that's what happened. I just sort of passively ignored it, but then it came on a second time. I'm like, okay, what what is this? And I leaned in, and I'm like, oh my gosh, that's terrible. I mean, I've always said, like, don't focus about Alabama or, you know, USC or what school you go to. Just make sure you've got a good, like, DoorDash rating and GMs <laughs> will find you. Like, I've always said that. Oh, dear. All right. That's going to do it for this episode. We'll see everyone next time. For Will and Matias, I'm Luke reminding you and everyone else in the sports world to stop the nonsense. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. You know how to book flights and hotels. All you're missing is a tool to plan the travel experiences you'll have once you arrive. That's why you need Viator. Book guided tours, excursions, and more in one place. There are over 300,000 travel experiences to choose from, so you can find something for everyone. And Viator offers free cancellation and 24-7 customer support for worry-free travel. Download the Viator app now and use code Viator10 for 10% off your first booking in the app. Find travel experiences for you. Do more with Viator.